0: My name's Neil Sharp, partner at Penn Partnership, and your host for this podcast. My guest today is Christophe Shoquet. Christophe is a successful author, keynote speaker, and advisor in all aspects of customer experience. So he's the perfect guest to have on the rise of the customer. Although he comes from the world of life sciences and healthcare, he advises and inspires companies and brands across many different sectors on how to design next-level customer experience. And in his book entitled Health Enthusiasm, He explains why people are actively involved in their health and happiness, what that means for companies and brands, and how they could win their customers' hearts by taking into account this health trend. He really challenges you to think more deeply about how you really create differentiation through helping people to meet their aspirations rather than just meet their needs. And central to all of this is the notion that all companies are in some way in the business of making customers healthy and happy. So how do you integrate health into the customer strategy of a telco? What's the difference between understanding customer needs and really getting under the skin of their deeply held aspirations? And will the chief health officer really become the next C-suite position in organizations? In this conversation, we explore those questions and we really dig into what the trend of health enthusiasm is all about and explore many examples of how this trend is playing out and being addressed by organizations across the world. So let's welcome Christoph. So, Christoph, hi. First of all, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining me today. As I said in the introduction, you're a successful author, keynote speaker and an advisor in all aspects of customer experience for patients and healthcare consumers. But perhaps before we, we get into the meat of the conversation, could you sort of start off by telling us your story in your own words?
1: Yeah, I can, I can certainly do that, Neil, and uh, thank you for having me. So in, in about a couple of uh, sentences, um, my background is actually in pharma. I studied business strategy, ended up in pharma, Stayed there for about 13, 14 years, mainly worked around lots of innovations and in digital spaces, et cetera. And then left back in 2014 because I wanted to do something with um, around digital innovation and healthcare. But I helped out a couple of startups and scale-ups um, first, which was mainly around, again, digital, but more mobile product, digital products uh, creation, et cetera. Also had a quick stopover at a market research firm where I was overseeing all the market research on healthcare, um, and so with all that knowledge, I actually wrote a book, um, as you said yourself, which is called Health Enthusiasm, and it, it it basically explains how health and happiness is important to all of us, and what that means for uh, for companies who we're all working with. Okay, jolly good, and.
0: Okay, let's well, let's dive into that. I mean, I love the term health enthusiasm, and uh, <laughs> it's a new one on me. But um, I mean, it'd be really useful to understand a little bit more about that theme. I mean, obviously, you've just given it a very quick overview there. And I know that it runs through a lot of the work that you do, not just your, your book. But one quote that caught my eye around it was, you know, health enthusiasm is a cultural, societal and economic trend in which everyone helped by companies and brands aspires to become as healthy and happy as possible, which very hard to argue with. It sounds great. But could you kind of introduce us to the concept in a little bit more detail just so that we really understand where you're coming from and perhaps you know, some of the drivers and motivations from your own point of view about how you've got into this and what you really mean by it?
1: So yeah, I think it's it's hard to disagree with that statement as you said earlier. Actually, when I go on stage, one of the the first questions I'm asking to the audience is, "Who wants to be healthy and happy?" And then all all hands raise, of course. So it's something which uh, which occupies all of us to the point that as to what it actually means, I think as human beings, ever since we're on this planet, I probably we were occupied with our health. The difference with uh, you know the Greek times or the medieval times is that we don 't need to bring out any offers or that we don't need to pray to the gods anymore to actually have an impact ourselves today we have a We have a lot more uh, impact on our health by the choices that we make in everyday life um, and that 's basically what drives this trend is that people actually feel that they can do something about it. It's, it's you, you. You were asking me about the, the different drives. I think there's about three or four um, that actually are very dominant, and that has led to this point. One is pretty obviously, you know, the, the digital uh, transformation that we've seen around us. By that, I don't only mean, you know, the fact that we can do stuff on a digital tool now, but the, but it's more like what has it changed in our mindsets? I mean, I think the way I mean, what what, what digital offers us is actually the possibility to become who we want to become. So, if we want to become healthier, we have plenty of tools out there and the same i mean the same is true if you, if you want to bring out a book i mean you you can publish online yourself if you want to, if you want to bring out a you know an album with a band, you can do that if you want to i don't know put a car together there's probably tons of movies online on on YouTube where you can learn how to actually put an engine um yeah. together yeah so digital has given us that 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 um, ability to do so. And then there's there's two three other ones. The the other one very important one is the psychological evolution. I think our basic and our emotional needs, uh, from the Maslow pyramid, they're they're largely you know fulfilled, and so we're looking for something else. And that that thing is self actualization, as it is called. So we want to you know develop ourselves. So that helps as well. There's of course COVID that has changed a lot in our mentality. I mean we're, we're a lot more conscious about our health and and what the implications are of not being healthy and then the last but not least and certainly if you're if you're working in companies it's it's about the economic value that you can bring if you focus on health because it's hard today to differentiate against your competitors and i mean for about 10 to 15 years now we've been focusing on customer experience many parts of my talks and even i have an entire talk about that is 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 around the statement that i bring and saying Customer experience is simply not enough anymore. So, you need to go one step further to create that value. And what is it then? It's then actually a customer experience or an experience that makes people feel better, healthier, or even happier. So, that is the it's not a generic experience where you provide, you know, for example, convenience. No, it's really an experience where you as a human being feel like, oh, this really changes me.
0: Okay. So, just to be absolutely clear, this is not about healthcare companies. This is about any company. It's about any any kind of almost commerce vehicle or anything else. You're, what you're talking about here is almost a theme that says that companies, whatever they do, are in the business of making people healthy, potentially. Is that is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, I, I wrote the book um, back in 2018, came out 2019. And, and saying exactly that, um, like every business is a health business. And ever since COVID, coming back to the third point that I mentioned earlier, is that ever since COVID, you see companies like Accenture, Deloitte, TWA, Ogilvy, they all are stating the same thing. That is, each and every company needs to have some sort of health and wellness strategy. They need to incorporate health into their customer strategies, those kind of lines. And so, yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I think if you want to connect with your customers, Oh, well, look at what is most important to them. And for that, we need to do something that maybe we haven't done quite a lot in the past as a company that is looking beyond the actual touch points. Because typically, if we if we think about customer experience, if we're thinking about bringing value to our customers, we look at the touch points that they are having with our, with our company, with our service, with our product. We might even look at the entire journey, if you will. But what I try to bring forward is that this is all good. But if you really want to differentiate today, just look at what is really important to them, and you won't find that exactly at that touch point. You you probably will find it a lot more deeper in their lives. And if you can understand that, which is something that I call life aspirations, then you can create really an experience that is more appealing to them, which allows you to connect better with them. Even so.
0: Okay. So we'll come back to the life aspirations. I'm sure. I mean, this is really fascinating stuff. And in terms of the theme of this series, you know, all about the rise of the customer. I've never heard it talked about like this before. So this is very, really fascinating to me. Okay, so we're talking about all organizations potentially being organizations that that worry about people's health. I mean, how how do people react to this? I mean, uh, I take your point, there's you know, some big companies that have come out with similar things. But when you're interacting with your clients, I mean, what, what's the initial reaction? Where do people start with this? I and mean, if they start to get it, what do they start thinking and doing in, within their
1: businesses? There's two ways. There's the before COVID and the after COVID, if you will, if there is already an after COVID. But the thing was that before COVID, I, what I felt was that um, it resonated a lot with the non-healthcare brands because they were looking for ways to differentiate. They were looking for ways to do things differently. They were looking for ways how they could really make a difference for their clients. What I realized and what we noticed um, very much during COVID and, and still a bit today, although that it, it, it's a bit changing, is that... Um, certainly, consumer brands, for example, they they weren't able to, to, to have those touch points anymore with, with their customers. And so they they really started investing heavily in digital channels to reach out to them. So they kind of lost the focus of health, for example, the differentiator or sustainability quite a bit during that period. Mm-hmm. While pharma has done the exact opposite. Um, so pharma actually realized that they needed also the, the, those channels, but they couldn't just, you know, Put out a chatbot or put out a an an, an omnichannel strategy without any value for patients, and so they were more open to the health enthusiasm ID than than consumer brands during COVID. I see it's it's becoming a bit. You know, you know, flat again, or I mean, all sorts sorts of companies are are focused on it. I think my next clients are a retailer and a telecom company next week, so it's it's starting to open up a little bit again. But I have to say, not all consumer brands are in that spot yet. Obviously, I mean, there there's still there's still some work to be done, and that's why I'm here, of course.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, good advert for your services. But I think, I mean, so just to sort of get specific for a moment just to take this on board because a lot of the work that we do you know you might engage with leadership c suite whatever and, and all of these concepts are very exciting to them they 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 see the point of differentiation and then when you start to then try to unpack that within the organization i'm not saying you hit a cultural wall though sometimes you hit a cultural wall but sometimes it's quite a a flight of fancy to take even what we would regard as quite you know sort of straightforward concepts and apply them if it's a little bit abstract within a firm, So for example. So let me ask it this way. you know if I, I'm a telecoms provider and i'm let's say I'm somebody who is looking after a key touch point such as managing a contact center, how do you connect up the guys on the phone or or that are actually delivering the experience in the moment? with a notion that all of a sudden as a telecoms provider that are dealing with thousands of calls every day, they're actually a health company, a health giving company. How do you form that connection and how does it manifest itself in reality i'm absolutely fascinated
1: yeah i mean obviously it's um if it would be that that, that straightforward that i can give you the the, the right answer <laughs> right here right now nobody would be needing me of course the thing is there there's a way to, to to discover that and it's it's a matter of trying to understand what is important for your you know average client and how's that how that fits with your dna um, and if that fits with your DNA, you can find ways to um to provide services or experiences that actually can help them. Um, I mean, I think if talking about a you know a call center whatsoever, it might even be as simple as, you know, just asking a question, how are you doing today, maybe? Or it could be referring to, you know, another service that you that that you have available. I think what you see is that the the What makes companies move is certainly when they are on a burning platform. So when their business is a bit under pressure by -hmm. by, by different stakeholders or or when their business is really in that field where price is actually the main differentiator. Then they try to differentiate with other things because today it's not easy it's not easy anymore to 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 um, differentiate with just simply convenience or digital experience or what have you because everybody's kind of like almost at that same level so if if you're on a burning platform where price is um is, is the main competitor then you need to be looking for other ways like uh, the client i was talking about a telecom operator is a um, in belgium actually brought out a telehealth service that allows you to quickly um, be in contact with uh, with physicians. Oh. And so it's a startup within a telecom company, which is solely focused on on health delivery. And I'm working on their longer term strategy, if you will, trying to inspire them around that. And it won't stop there. I mean, it's obvious that even telehealth, you know, the matching of the physician with the patient or the one in, in need of medical attention, I mean, that is the digital experience. That's not enough. I mean, you can't differentiate even at that level anymore. Even if you have already switched your business from a pure telecom operator to a telehealth service for a part, then even in that telehealth space, it's not even enough. So you need to find ways to actually make that uh, that difference. And this is the type of exercises that we do. We try to inspire about what is coming in the future, what are the what are the expectations that people have, how can you how can you find the the, the right levers to actually adapt your service or your experience that you're offering.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So I want to just pivot back to health, if I may, for a moment, because I know you come from that background and and get into that specific. I mean, one of the sort of central tenets of managing customer experience, and we've already mentioned it a couple of times. You know, understanding what's important to your customers It's it's, it's the most obvious thing, but sometimes one of the more tricky and difficult things to really get a handle on, not just the stated needs, but perhaps some of the unstated needs and and those sort of things. I mean, do you? within the domain of healthcare, which is always an interesting and fascinating one, I mean, do you feel that you're seeing signs that customer or patient needs are actually being met? And, and you know, and, and, or how are people going about doing that? and And if... If not, why not?
1: As you said, I mean it's a, it's a super interesting space. It's a B2B 2 C kind of environment for many companies in, in the healthcare space. And it's hard to 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 get information from the C because very often, certainly as a pharmaceutical company, for example, you're not allowed to certainly not in Europe to to reach out to that patient. Mm. To your point, what I see with, with with healthcare companies, and it's a it's a common mistake I see throughout the healthcare system, actually, is that most of the times we really know very well what the needs are but we have a bit the arrogance if you will if i can put it that way to believe that if we solve that need with a with a certain product or service that actually you know patients they will they will use it and but it but it doesn't work that way it's not because there is a need and people have some sort of fear or pain and that they want to have it resolved that bad that they will always use whatever solution you put out there and so what I try to educate, if you will, a healthcare uh, industry about is that it goes way beyond the needs. You need to understand the needs, which is fine. I, I, I never discuss the needs with with a client. I mean, they should be aware of that. But if you want to bring out a good solution, you need to take into account the expectations of people because the needs are very specific to, you know, the, 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 the moment where that person feels a patient the need that he has in that moment. But the thing is that we're all, we're all patients and we're all also consumers and human beings who live in this world. And we have tons of experiences and all those other experiences, they actually create certain expectations in our, in our own, you know, way of being. And so even if we are in that situation as a patient, we expect certain things in certain ways. Mm. And so having a solution that answers your need, but doesn't answer your expectations because, you know, for example, it's not convenient or it's uh, it takes too much time. Right. It'll never it will it'll it'll never take off. And so all the many of the um uh, tryouts or pilots that I've seen really focus heavily on the needs, but never on the expectations. Okay. Sorry, so yeah, if, I, think, yeah. yeah well, I think if and, and then we come back to the aspirations again, because then you can, you know, not only add the the expectations to create a, a good experience, but you could also add then um, the aspirations, meaning what is really important in their lives so that you can add that layer to it. And that, that really the um the patient feels connected with you because you understand what is important to them.
0: Right. OK, which we is where the experience the way in which it's delivered really comes in by the sound of it Um, exactly yeah okay interesting and um i mean we talked there about healthcare. i mean i guess everything you've just said equally applies to most other sectors i mean is, is there any sector that's kind of smashing out of the park in this context in terms of really getting beyond just need and getting into proper understanding of aspiration and what how people want it delivered as well
1: yeah, certainly there, there are. Um, They're quite a bit if you, look, if you look more closely. And I think one of the most fascinating and, and maybe the, the most innovating industries is probably the travel industry. <laughs> it's not something people regularly think about, but think about it this way. Travel used to be, you know, I want to get out of my own house. I want to just stay a couple of weeks, a certain period of time um, away from home. That was travel. That is basically the product. But already in the in in the fifties, nineteen fifties, what we saw is we saw this thing coming up, which was called um, all inclusive kind of holidays, yeah. which is a service. I mean, you just go and in, indeed you live for a couple of weeks, a certain period of time, in a in a certain wonderful environment, and you 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 get tons of services. That was actually what people loved to do. They didn't need to cook. They just could lay down next to the pool, and that's all they needed to think about. Now, from the '90s on, and that was already pretty early, we saw the shift in the travel industry that went towards more of a, an experience kind of travel. You know, people wanted to um, horseback ride somewhere. Um, you saw the um, the interest in Iceland increasingly growing, for example, because that was an experience. Now, for the past ten years, then again, you see the travel industry um, moving into those kind of uh, towards those kind of experiences that actually make people feel different, feel better. Like it almost has become popular to um, to climb the Kilimanjaro or to meet the Urangutangs and somewhere in Africa or, you know, you know, help clean a beach and, and, and Thailand. So those kinds of things are not just experiences. They, those are experiences that make you feel better as a human being. And so to me, I mean, if you really talk about um, an industry uh, who's on the forefront of everything since since decades, to me, that's certainly the travel industry. And they are also, I think the latest number that I've seen is that they expect that about 20% of the global travel expenditures will go to wellness trips. That's one in five. Which is a,
0: a big validation of your health enthusiasm
1: theme, right? <laughs> It is, yeah, exactly, and so that is that is I think the um, what what you see, and uh, maybe just to add one other industry which is super fascinating to me as well um, is the car industry. I, I'm I'm actually working on a white paper on on, on that point or that industry right now. It's um, the actual car industry. The way I look at it is starting to shift away from pure driver experience, which has been the focus of you know all car companies since almost an eternity. How can you uh, you optimize the driver experience? But if you look at it today, the driver experience between one and the other car might not differ that much anymore. Also with the with you know the, the driverless cars, the autonomous vehicles, et cetera, that, that are coming our ways, question is what will you be doing in your car? And so I mean I think it was Mercedes Benz and Hyundai were probably one of the first ones, but already back in 2017, they had the ambition to make people healthier when they are in the car. So there I mean I mean if you drive a car sometimes for longer than 2 3 hours if you step out of that car you feel exhausted right you're a bit you yeah. know kind of like want to take a, take a nap or or at least um uh, lay your head down a bit but i think what what they're now focusing on is that if if you drive for 3 hours with that car is that you feel healthier happier better even because the car was that refreshing because it um it changed your your your, your way of of sitting because the ambient light was, was turned on and it was more calming. Maybe there was some more soothing music. You had a massage in your back. It was actually tracking all your vitals and it could see if your heart rate goes up because you have this meeting at nine and, and there's, there's traffic on the road. And, and so it can really help you to, 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 to suit yourself or to, to become more, uh, more relaxed. And so those kind of initiatives you see, you see very much everywhere and all the future thinking, but also the current projects in, um, in the car industry.
0: Yeah, no, great example. So funnily enough, I've I've got a mode in my car which I, I've I've played with once but was never quite sure why it was there. But you may have just answered it for me actually, which is a sort of I can't I think it's called the health and well being thing and you can you can play something to wake you up if you're feeling a bit sleepy or you can you can play something that and what it does is it changes the air conditioning settings and puts on some sounds and what have you to, to either wake you up or calm you down. So maybe that's what it is, I don't know. <laughs>
1: I think I kind of I forgot to number because I look at so many numbers sometimes, but I think like for example the cardiac monitoring market for the NCAR uh, application, I think it I I it was valued around a billion or something. Wow. So I mean it's 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 huge. I mean all the application that you can you can put in your um your car. I mean I think it was Jaguar who has this sort of mini sensors uh, underneath your legs, it actually Kind of um, stimulates as if you were walking, so it stimulates your um, your legs, and it kind of triggers your brain and, and makes you you know feel like if you were walking. So it's, it's it's to make sure that you not don't sit you know unmovingly in the in the same position. Um,
0: Blimey, the
1: mind boggles. <laughs> Very good.
0: Okay, no, well, you brilliant couple of examples there. Thank you for bringing that to life. I mean, I suppose the other question that's just in the forefront, which I have to ask, is is you know, I totally understand what you're saying about getting beyond need and getting into real expectation, which is you know is, is what I do for a living as well to a certain extent. I mean, do, how do you? Feel, are there any particular excellent ways of getting to that that you you kind of you advocate or that you use? Because I mean, you know, quite often there's a whole variety of tools that we can bring to bear when we're trying to understand a journey, including customer journey mapping and, and persona development and talking to customers. I mean, is there is there a particular favorite of yours in terms of really getting to that slightly deeper need element of, uh, sorry, deeper um, aspiration element?
1: So I mostly work with clients on the expectations and the aspirations. And so if I work with the expectations, I do two types of exercises. I try to look at each touch point to see what are the expectations there and how can you actually, you know, maybe improve it, like really challenge the company to see, do you really know the expectations there? And then I also try to identify whether across all touch points with that one company, with that one product, is there like one expectation that resonates more? Because that is then your you know, value proposition, if you will. It's a bit like Amazon that says it's convenient. They will make sure that everything is convenient and the reason why why I do it, it that way is because it's 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 important to think more holistically if we're thinking about the experience not just because otherwise you're talking about user experience and not anymore about customer experience which is yeah. which is something I often uh, see now when it comes to aspirations it's actually the topic of my my new book um, that I'm writing and it's it's still in research and I, I do this together with the clients and the workshops that i'm that I'm doing. But um, there's about 24, if you will, aspirations out there uh, right now. So you could you could call them like it's the it's maybe the dreams and desires of people. But the dreams and desires because they want to feel healthier and happier. So what could that be? You you, you might want to have more energy throughout the day or you want to be more relaxed, or you want to be in the moment, or you want to be kinder as a person, or you want to accept others, for example, there's about 24 different types of aspirations. And what it does and what it, how it helps companies is that, you know, if, if, you, if, if companies want to go into the health and happiness sphere, the first thing they think about is what I call the wellness bingo, which is then, you know, it's, we'll, we'll focus on exercise, food, sleep, and mental health which is wonderful. I mean, and anything I'll ever suggest will end with that, the same four things as well. But it's stupid, sorry to put it that way, but it is stupid to to actually start with that in mind. Yeah. It's, it's like saying, if you start a company, like we need an app, we need a website, we need a chatbot and we need social, social media. Yeah, sure you do, but what will you be doing with it? I mean, yeah. it's the mean versus the objective and the goal that you wanna achieve. And so by working with, with the um, aspirations, it really helps to actually discover what are the goals that you can facilitate as a company, basically. Um, so one company could say, if you're a mattress company, it's it, maybe it's, it's more easy to say like, oh, look, we want to help people having full energy all day, and so everything that we will do, all the services, experiences that we will build around their mattress will be will be around making sure that if people wake up, they have their full energy and they actually feel that difference. So it could could be that simple as that. But the important thing is that you understand the most important drivers, the most important aspirations of of your customer. And then look where your DNA, your services could actually uh, meet with them. And it makes it a little bit more tangible. And probably you will end up with, you know, exercise, food solutions, and maybe mental health and sleep solutions. But it will be more oriented towards the goal and not just the mean. And that's why I I particularly work with those aspirations um.
0: And in terms of getting right down to what they actually are, I mean, when when it comes down to it, there's a couple of things going on here in my mind. So what you talked about there reminded me of, you know, sort of having clarity of your own purpose as a business and having a set of principles, effectively, almost, you know, so, you know, we want to be the easiest to deal with or in the bed industry, you know, the most comfortable, uh, yeah et cetera. And, and then you you infuse that across everything that you do. I, I get that. And again, that that really resonates and chimes with the kind of work that we do. The, the problem I often run into is is getting certainty that you have really got to the bottom and un, of the understanding of what those aspirations actually are from a customer point of view in terms of being able to research that effectively and convince yourself that you're right. Because obviously there comes a point where, You've got to stop theorizing about these things and kind of put rubber to the road, so to speak, and actually deliver. I mean, is, is, again, is is there a silver bullet in this or is it is it a case of just work, work, work until you th- there's just no more data you can get because you, you you know that you've got it right? Because you can see from your customers reactions to things or how do you how do you get
1: there? Yeah, I think, I mean, big corporations, they all, they, they suffer a bit from paralysis by analysis. So overthinking it is definitely not a good thing. I think my the type of workshop that I try to do is 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 really hands on. I do some research for them, and then we talk about it, and, and we look at their existing research that they have, and we try to come up with the the most dominant things. It's a, it's a quick type of exercise where yep. people need to be choosing. The thing is, and if you really want to, you know, make a difference for your customers, if you really want to innovate, or if you want really want to go into that that on, on that road. I think what you need to try to go for is that you need to have this small minimum viable product. I mean, it's heard before. Maybe even minimum marketable product mm-hmm. or value proposition, even sometimes only. And you just need to you need to test the value of it. Yep. Very often, what I see is that if you work with corporations, they always think about. ROI immediately what is the return that we will be having but I think it's that that is one step too early I think the first thing you need to be doing is get out there and try to have the value of that investment first and if you have a confirmed value then you can invest more and see what the return can be but it's, it's basically it's I don't know if you read the lean startup book yeah. but it's, it's it's basically that same principle and saying start off by focusing on value first how is what is the value that we will bring test that in the, into the market and if this is confirmed, then you can think about, you know, growing. And this is the only way to move forward. You can an, an analyze everything internally. You can add more data, but probably from many of the things you already kind of know a bit by quickly talking to customers or by your previous research or by the the, the, the eternal years that you've been spending with them, what the, the right option uh, might be. And then you need to just have it proved. And if it's not correct, you need to alter it. You need to um but it could be, like, it's really testing. In four or five days, you can you can have, you know, a prototype, have it tested, and come back.
0: Okay, so it's all about prototyping. I mean, again, Car Industry, a great example of that. You know, actually, until you sit in this thing that you've created, it's, it's very difficult to describe to somebody in words what it's going to be like until they actually sat in the seat and and looking at a different speedometer configuration or or, or whatever else. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So that seems to fit with the concept of agile, Um, you know, big, big, well-spoken about a lot in business at the moment. But the the essence of that, what you've talked about for me is agile, you know, build something, test it, go again, you know, and fast fail and and keep building, right?
1: The philosophy, I mean, I I coach a lot of startups and what they are confronted with is what, what you can call is metered funding. So they they actually have like money for to survive six months, nine months, maybe year tops. And so within that period, they need to prove the value first. And then if that value is 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 well or not well enough, if they have considerable insights, maybe they need to tweak it, maybe they they can go one step further, uh, but they need to be really smart with their money. Because within six, nine to nine months, they need to prove something to be able to get more money, and it goes on like that for about two, three years before you get you know the big bag of money, let's yeah. say. Um, and when you get that big bag, it's because you know you can have that return. Before that, it's all it's all about the value and the testing and the um and very often corporates are are missing that that you know that 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 first part. They they just really focus on the return immediately, which which is why innovation probably never really goes that fast and incorporates
0: yeah no absolutely i'm i've been involved with the business recently at a, a very early stage and and taking exactly the lean business startup principles around we come up with 10 we actually were able to put metrics against most of them sort of a set of assumptions that are made about whether if we're right about this then these things will prove to be true as we step through and start doing this and then as you start doing it you can kind sort of go well that one is but that one just isn't working out so then the question is does that make everything else fail or can you adjust and, and take? So, uh, okay, interesting. Very, very customer-centric way of, of building a business. I just want to flip back. Something I wrote down earlier, I just wanted to just double back on as well. It was You talked a lot about differentiation and I get that and it's really coming through very strongly about how this whole concept provides a source of differentiation, if I can put it that way, potentially for organizations that are prepared to embrace it. The the other thing that gets talked about a lot is personalization. And again, in healthcare as well, particularly, I mean, it's, it's, it's in every industry, but the, the notion of personalization, I mean, does that come a lot into your work about really making it almost feel like this is something for me and no one else kind of thing, which in the healthcare space is actually really important and probably is... For some of the new therapies, the stem cell therapies and biologics, it kind of is one to one, right? It's designed for you because it'll only work on you. I mean, is is that a central theme to everything you're talking about as well?
1: Yeah, I think personalization is one of the twelve expectations that I, that I use always in my um, in my workshop. And basically, you would be surprised how often it is not yet for some industries that important, mm-hmm. um, but it'll, it'll become important for sure. As you say, I think even the next phase after personalization is what I call predictiveness or being able to predict stuff. Um, so it goes, you mentioned it earlier personalization is it is for me, uh, but we'll be going to, it is about me so that you really could uh, understand the impact, the future impact, even on one of the other things on on me. And I think one of the most Maybe probably the most fascinating companies in the world is, uh, is a Chinese company I kind of forgot to name right now. And what they what they do is they gather all the data, behavioral data, your microbiome, your DNA, um, all the foods that you consume, the medication you take. And they put it all into, into one system and they actually create some sort of digital twin of yourself, if you will. <laughs> And so if you say "I'll stop running from this point on or i'll I'll eat french fries twice a week from this point on it, the, the algorithm can actually calculate the the impact <laughs> it'll have on your on your health um, yeah. so and it's it's fed by uh, already by about one million people so there is a there's a ton of data already in there and and what they do is um they they actually make sure that along the way you can you know decide what to do go left or right let's say it's like a gps if you will mm-hmm. because we know if you go right it might you take 10 minutes more to get to the to, to your destination if you go left maybe it's a shortcut and but but it'll it'll certainly help you so those kind of companies are, are coming up quite a bit uh, so I, I really believe in this um prediction which which makes personalization even more precise so yeah i mean obviously obviously it is but it, it it'll, it's already moving towards prediction right now very heavily
0: Okay. No, that's really interesting. Actually, that's uh, that's getting my mind spinning already about a few things that are uh, I'm working on at the moment. So thank you for that. If I may, I mean, I, I I know you mentioned the 24 aspirations and I don't want you to go and list them out. I mean, people can buy the book, can't they, of course, and, and read about it, but um, as in when you've done it. But when we were chatting prior to this conversation today, you talked about, uh, and it's a phrase that's really stuck with me, moving from customer experience to customer transformation, you know, moving someone to a point where they feel genuinely healthier and happier i mean obviously we've talked a bit about that but this idea that you're transforming customers and you're transforming their lives just it, it feels fantastic and it and it, again it's, it's hard to argue with but it also if i'm a business owner and maybe if i'm running a big corporation or indeed if i'm running a big pharma company that feels quite daunting to me as well you know so how now do i how do i break that down i mean is that where the the idea of these aspirations, these 24 aspirations comes in so that you can start to break it down into, I'm going to even call it manageable chunks, you know, sort of thinking about things from different perspectives and then working out which ones you can knock over quickly so that you can move on to the more difficult ones. Is is that how you go about doing this? I mean, it just, it feels massive, but very interesting.
1: No, no, it's, it's, it's totally the way you need to go about this. And I think, it it sounds a little bit daunting. It might even sound overcomplexing or overcomplicated, but it's it's what people are looking for when they're when they're choosing one or the other company. They they really are looking for that value that 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 matches their own values, and you can find it in the, in the Live aspirations. I'll, I'll I'll give you one very simple example, which which makes it more tangible. And that is, if you need electricity in your house, you I mean it's almost like a given, right? It's a, it's a, something we all have. But mm-hmm. back in the days when we when we chose from what supplier we would want to have electricity we would look at prices because there's no differentiation right last maybe 20 to 25 years what you've seen is that we will we were choosing the the company that offered a good service a good experience so if they if they install stuff they don't make a mess of your house if something goes wrong you can reach them it's quickly solved etc so the whole experience was good we had those expectations that the whole experience was good it was not just about electricity because electricity was there it was no longer just about the price we we wanted to have that experience that service level that actually um, was good enough nowadays if you look at why people choose one or the other company in the electricity supplier market very often it will be driven by whether or not a company has a supply of green energy Mm. And so, and then we get into the, again, the, um, the aspirational aspects of things because people aspire to be a better person, aspire to be um, more ecologically conscious, if you will, try to live more sustainably. And so one way of doing that is, is choosing brands and companies that actually go by that as well. And so if you choose today, you choose your, your, um, your um, energy supplier, electricity supplier, you'll, you'll go for that one that actually provides green energy as well. And so it's 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 that same logic that you can you can apply to food, you can apply that to cars, to to any type of industry. People are looking for ways that makes them feel a better person because that is one of the drivers that we're having. We want to be the best possible human being out there. Mm. And we need the brands to actually um to to help us with that.
0: Okay. Okay. Really interesting. And again, you know, close to home for us, we do a lot of work in asset management and investment management and there's a whole thing going on at the moment around um, ESG, as it's known, environmental, social and governance around, you know, not just from a consumer perspective, but just making sure that people are doing the right things in terms of how they're running the business. So, okay, interesting. And so I get the the Maslow reference earlier, I and mean, as a as a marketeer studying that many years ago, um, you know, coming back to that, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, what about in an industry where, gosh, I don't want to stereotype at all but you know where where you perhaps you're dealing with a population who may not be typically healthy or or particularly happy at any point so you you're dealing you're you're coming from a low basis sort of thing and it may be that you're dealing with a a segment of the population or indeed maybe you're dealing with a public service a public sector sort of thing where you're trying to help people who this is not an aspirational thing necessarily this is something where perhaps they're in a pretty bad situation can you apply the same principles here or do you kind of does it does this concept go out of the window and and therefore the aspirations don't come into it or is it exactly the same it's just applied in, a, in the same way
1: I think the need is even bigger there so it should apply the only thing is that it's sometimes more difficult for cost reasons um, because there's still a focus that uh, that that they might do um, so first I think As I said earlier, and and you refer to it as well, the the Maslow pyramid, when you are focused on yourself and becoming a better person, when you're focused on self-development, most of the time you do it when your other needs are largely fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So if your basic needs like, you know, food, having a roof on top of your head, you know, friends, family, being mentally stable, having work, those kind of things, if that is not around... There's not a lot of point, I would say, into focusing solely on self-development hmm. because there are some other things to be solved first as well. That said, what you do see is that I've been running market research for a couple of years with one of my clients. And each and every time that we did a you know general research, I always put this one question in it, and it was, did you buy more, less or as much products or services that actually helped to improve your health? And so, I mean, if you do market research, you try to cover the entire population, obviously. And so 95% of the people said that in the past five years that they bought more uh, of those products and services that actually helped their health to become better. So, I mean, it may may not be in the same order, it may not be in the same quantity, but there is this... The other drivers still apply the fact that you I mean digital allows us to be more occupied with ourselves The companies can provide it still um, and people are still you know they want to have an impact on their own health and happiness even back in the in in, in the middle ages it was the case so, but now everybody kind of has the tools with those apps and, and phones that we're having so um certainly important not that easy but you see that actually everybody is um occupied with health and happiness for sure
0: yeah, yeah. No, I suppose what was it particularly in my mind when I was asking that question was thinking of, you know, we're we're talking from the UK. I mean, the sort of crisis in social care that's being talked about a lot, not not only in the media but just in terms of in a lot of the work that's going on and trying to ensure that you've got a sustainable healthcare system, which again is a problem in not just in this country but across the world. You know, that there's big, big systemic issues with that and some of the almost the dichotomies that exist around the financing of that. And what's in my mind is from a lot of the stuff you've been talking about there, whilst it might not be sort of top-end aspirational stuff, if you're breaking these problems down into aspirations and really getting to understand what it means for a person in a particular situation or trying to consume a very basic service that isn't perhaps delivering what they want – still feels like there's applicability to me rather than it. I I felt that the conversation was about it's almost as if it's a high-end brand thing only and it it doesn't feel like that to me at all and I just want to make sure we get that across because it feels very important actually.
1: No I think applying that same mentality and and the focus on uh, aspirations will make sure that all the investments that you make as a healthcare system will even be more rewarding for them. Because most of the time what we see with the healthcare system or even the governmental system is that is they apply some sort of what I call a system-based approach, um, by which I mean, I mean, they know better. They will force certain rules and uh, upon us. That we all know, we've seen some examples of that in the past two years, yeah. but it's not always particularly the best way to go forward. Because I think what you've seen in the past couple of years, for example, in the field of personal coaching and training management, I mean, the trainers from sports teams, is that they switched from we know best, we will tell you what you need to be doing, to a more client based approach where they really listen to what is important to them. What do they really want to achieve? What are their aspirations? And then help them along the way. And every step that you do more than previously is already a good thing. So it's not about be careful. Uh, like the system-based approach is about, you know, be careful. You have a high cholesterol. If you don't change your, your diet and you don't take the pills, you'll die. Or you have a heart attack. It's not that mentality anymore. It's It's more about what is important in your life. What do you still want to do? How do you feel about yourself? What is your aspirations towards your kids, et cetera? And how can we help you actually achieve that? It's it's a total different kind of a, approach that we should be applying. And certainly within the healthcare or governmental systems, um, we need to find a way to to educate and and guide a lot more than, than just um, forcing things upon, if you will.
0: That strikes me as social prescribing kind of would fall into that category as well. Is that would that be fair? So, you know, where you instead of Going to a, a GP and and describing a set of symptoms and then being given medication, you 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 would again look at the entire lifestyle of that individual, and and it may be that undertaking a hobby or something actually because the root cause of something might be depression or, or certainly near depression might be a better way of I'm simplifying right, <laughs> but dealing with that particular issue, you know, and, and therefore actually rather than just saying to somebody go and go and do something, you would actually physically help them do it and maybe even fund it so that you're you're heading off a problem in the future sort of thing that that feels like what you're talking about yeah
1: yeah i think i mean the uk has been experimenting many years now for um with, with prescribing nature mm. so in walks in, na- in nature i think belgium now started with prescribing museum visits um, which is a copy paste from the what they've done in met in, in the met in new york and what they've done in canada as well and it's it's in 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 that same field. I think what will change is um because our, our, our healthcare professionals are not really trained for that. So I think that the role, the first line a healthcare responsible professional, will be more of a guide alongside all those potential initiatives that you can have. And I think that is one of the the biggest change that we will see in in, in healthcare is that we, we will not be too much focused on the system first, but more on how can we help those persons and how can we actually guide them, because very often they'll they'll come in your 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 office with you know, a diagnose that they've had from three different apps you've never heard of and you don't know really what to do with. So the question is, how will you guide them amongst those three di- di- different diagnoses or, or identical diagnoses, whatever the case may be? I totally agree. It's, um, it's it's something which 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 will become more important. It's also maybe on a side note is if I work with startups as well in the health sphere and, and they, they immediately talk about, we want to be reimbursed. I often ask them, yeah, but why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you sure you really want? I mean, is this is this? Have you thought this through? Because it's not always the best way to. People are mm. willing to invest in their own health, and the question is, are you targeting those people or not? Or how how can you? So it's not always just about just get into that system and it'll it'll work out. Um, mm. It needs to be value valuable first for the for for the people. Value-based healthcare, indeed, in in action, perhaps. Exactly, yeah. It's <laughs> it's, it's all based on the same principle, and no, oh,
0: comes up a lot in these conversations. I can assure you. Um, no, thank you. That's that's really clear and a very very interesting set of concepts. I mean, just just sort of. Final point on, on this theme um, before we sort of wrap up. But I, I understand now what you're, you're talking about. You know, it's very much about the health and well being of customers. Doesn't matter what sector you're in, it's understanding that, locking into aspirations, thinking much more broadly about things. I noticed a really interesting quote on your website from Wonderman Thompson, which basically poses the question as to whether the chief health officer is, in fact, the next C-suite position. And obviously, there's lots of C acronyms nowadays in, in different organizations. That was a new one on me, I have to say. I've, I've obviously sort of um, been asleep somewhere. But, I mean, you know, given the fact that many companies that we deal with don't have chief customer officers yet, I mean, is, is that... Is that really the next step? I mean, it feels a like quite a big jump to me for organizations to do that. But is it is it happening and
1: in looking to the future? How do you see that playing out? It is happening. I mean, there's a couple of companies. I mean, there are cruise companies that even have a health officer. Even before COVID, that was, um, because we know what happened with certain yeah. cruise ships. Yeah. But there was also, for example, um, at a certain point, Mercedes-Benz. I've looked into the board right now. I don't think he's, he's still there. But Mercedes-Benz, for example, had a chief medical officer. Philip Morris has a chief health scientist officer. Yeah. Because Philip Morris, for example, is is, is, is a, is a, is a is an, um, wonderful example to of a company that shifts away from unhealthy to healthy, because by... 2025 they want to have half of their revenues uh, coming from um, non-smoking um, products mm-hmm. and services so they actually just bought three pharmaceutical companies just to, yeah, just yeah. to
0: quite a bit of controversy around that as well yeah sense. it's quite a bit
1: of, well but it's interesting um, but it actually shows what, what is happening in the world really mm-hmm. really well and so they have a chief health officer as well so to your point i i It's true. I mean, it's not going to be tomorrow, but it is coming. And I think um, it kind of indicates in certain industries why it is important. And maybe it will be under the umbrella of, I mean, Non-alcoholic beverages officer because they have that in MBF there is a chief non-alcoholic beverages because it's the biggest growing market and for them, and it's a sea level uh, function so it's also primarily focused on why people don't drink so it, which is also driven by um, by health largely, and um, so there's there's all sorts of see executives out there coming up that that are related to value sustainability Mm -hmm. uh, health diversity whatever it may be um they're coming uh, for sure maybe it's not the executive board level maybe it's one level lower but i mean those functions exist
0: right brilliant okay (laughs) Very good. Well, I mean, I've learned a lot. I've got a new term, health enthusiasm, and I've got a, a, a few um, uh, things that I'm definitely going to drop into conversations. And I hope people listening have, um, have have kind of been mentally challenged by some of the things that you've laid down. And I'm sure we'll be eagerly rushing to Amazon to uh, to get hold of a copy of the book. Before we finish, I mean, this this is just a bit of a wrap up, and, it, and again, I always try and just get this sense from people about what things mean to them. So they're, they're slightly arcane questions given the topic we've just been going through, but. I mean, what do you think being truly customer-centric
1: means? To me, it's, it's about going beyond just the touch points and try to understand what is important in their lives. So yeah. the life aspirations again.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, that's pretty clear. We've, we've been saying that. I could have almost not answered you that. But, uh,
1: and I mean, can you,
0: I mean, you've given us a few examples, but something personal to you. Can you recall an experience you've had that really defines what fantastic customer experience is in that context?
1: I don't know. I think I'd have to go with my, my personal coach. I think personal coaches are the best examples of going just beyond a good experience because they really are there for you and they really make you feel healthier. I mean, I think it's 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 almost an obvious industry, but I, I've learned so much from working with personal. Personal coaches to see how that customer transformation kind of concept works really well, um, and the way that it it was is just I trained together with my girlfriend, for example, and every training he asks her whether or not she has her menstrual cycle, whether um, or, or, or she has her periods, because then he adapted training and he takes into account that maybe she might be having lower uh, energies, for example, mm-hmm. and so to me those are the experiences. It's not just about sitting on a on on a bike and and with loud music around you and having a great time. It's really about the experience that makes me feel You know, better. It's personalized. It's focused on what I want to achieve because I don't need to, you know, lose weight or something. I just want to, you know, have good movement still uh, as I'm turning to 34, 33, can't remember. So I still want to, you know, move move really well. And so he's really focused on that. He's listening to what I what is important to me. He's following up with me. He's 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 talking about my diet. If something doesn't work because I have a lot of work to do professionally, then then he will guide me in that. So it's 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 more than just an experience. It's really transformation.
0: Yeah, no, good. Great example. And re- real obvious um, example, as you say, of um, of actually transforming somebody. So, And what about the opposite? You know, a, a real terrible experience has happened to you that just kind of typifies everything you shouldn't do.
1: So, well, I, I took an insurance a couple of years ago. Uh, I needed to do a health check, which was literally something like the data almost have on me. Um, so I could have shared that with them. I, I needed to complete a, a list. And I have a bad knee, for example. And I have one small chronic condition in, in my back, which is called Scheuermann. It's, really, it's not really bad. It, it, it's something that happens when you're, when you're a kid, when you grow a little bit uh, the wrong way. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all, but it's in my dossier. And so I got an automated letter probably three months later after all the tests that I've done saying that, okay, they'll, they'll agree to insure me, but anything related to my knee or my back it's not insured. I was like, so, so why? First of all, I mean, the knee, okay, I might have an operation at some point. My back is not going to change. There's just nothing wrong. I mean, there's this not a big fuss to be made about. But then excluding my entire back, uh, it was literally written like that. So I wanted to have more information. I wanted to see whether I can still insure myself for it in one way, maybe higher fee, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I replied to them. It took two months, didn't, didn't, didn't answer. I, I replied to them again. I talk a lot. I work a lot with an insurance company. I even worked with an insurance company. I said, I, I don't get it. I mean, this is almost an example I'll be using on stage, if, if you will. So I, could you please just reply to me? Yes. And then they replied to me, um, yeah, I saw your mail, but I didn't know what to answer. <laughs> I said, but, yeah, well, could you then get me in contact with somebody that, you know, could answer my questions? Can I can I be insured for that? Can I have a higher premium to have my back included, for example? Never came back. Wow. <laughs>
0: Oh, dear. Um, well, as somebody who's worked a lot in the insurance industry my time, it makes me cringe. But um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, great example. And then final one. What's the one thing that you've learned so far in your career, because you're a young man still compared to me that you could never have learnt at business school?
1: I think failing, probably working with, with people. I think those are the two ones. I think First of all let's let's just put working with with, with, with human beings i mean it's 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 you can't really study how to go about people how to coach them how to there's some tips and tricks you learn along the way but i mean even in business school you can't really you know you have to be in that environment to understand the the different concepts etc so i think that is one thing but the other thing is also like 20 years ago when i was studying i mean Failing was not really an option. That was not something... I mean, the, the whole lean for, uh, methodology, for example, was not really an option. I think it's also related to the European culture. I mean, if you fail, you failed. It's not like he's going to start again and do it better now. So I think daring to fail, going out there without having to overanalyze things is, I think, one of the things that I've learned that, that I didn't learn in, uh, in business school.
0: Yeah, becoming mainstream, hopefully, and certainly very much part of a lot of the stuff we've talked about. So, Christoph, that's been really, really fascinating. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, some great concepts in there. Really gets much deeper into customer experience in terms of the kind of psychological impact that it can have but also the way in which you go about and I love this idea of actually transforming customers I think that's that's really excellent so thank you so much for for sharing so openly some of that stuff and um, well best of luck with the the next book when it comes out I shall certainly be uh, grabbing a copy of that when it arrives so so thank you very much indeed for coming on
1: well it was a very fun conversation it's always nice to talk uh, about the stuff that I'm so passionate about but this was particularly a really nice one thank you ah, good lovely thanks very much
0: indeed Thanks very much for listening today. If you found that useful, please give us a like on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And if you'd like to know more, you can find us at penpartnership.com or you can follow PenPartnership Partnership on LinkedIn. Until next time, goodbye.